Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome, hopeful future footballologists, to another meeting of the Star Seminar, your team-taught course led by two eminent PhDs of pigskin punditry, Dr. Rabble Rouser, and as always, my compatriot, Dr. Danny Phantom. How are you today, sir? I'm doing good, actually. You know, I'm in the middle of enjoying my birthday today. Uh, (gasps) Happy birthday. uh, Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you, sir. Uh, uh, we actually record on Thursday for those that don't know, but so yes, this is, this is my birthday and, uh, we don't really do anything like big for birthdays. In fact, I did, did work a half day today. Um, so we're just not big on the celebration of birthdays. However, we do, um, I do get to have like my favorite meal. So, and you know, my wife is nice to me the whole day, which I feel like I get like diplomatic immunity and sense of kindness. Uh, you know, I guess she feels guilty by, you know, uh, not that she's ever mean to me, but I mean, she's just nice to me the whole day. So that's nice. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's just a very pleasant day. And, uh, so I get to enjoy that. I was going to ask you, Rabs, is there anything, do you make a, a, a deal out of birthdays? Is there any type of tradition that you have, you know, over the years that you, you tend to do on, on your special day? That's a really good question. I think the answer is probably no. For And I think the main reason is when my birthday falls. So my birthday is in late November. It tends to fall either later. It can never be on Thanksgiving because my birthday is the 29th, but it, it oftentimes falls sometime in that Thanksgiving weekend or early in the week following. Um, my uh, wife and I have a... <laughs> A, her birthday is on in December on December 10th. Our anniversary is on December 14th, and then of course there's you know all the other winter holidays. So there's just so much going on with travel and all that. It just it tends to be overwhelming, and so we try to you know make some of those some of those events a little smaller. So we make my birthday a little bit smaller, and we make we celebrate our anniversary not on the anniversary of the day we got married, which was in December, but the anniversary of, the, of our first date, which is in August, as a way to kind of like mm. alleviate some of the pressure. Nice. Um, but what that means is I love Thanksgiving. We've talked about this before. I love Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving meal. It's my favorite holiday, and I'd much rather just like go, blow the doors out of Thanksgiving and, and and you know skimp a little bit on my birthday so that I, you know, so that I can celebrate the holiday that's the more meaningful of the two. So we usually do something, but it's, it's oftentimes a little smaller. I will say that my wife's birthday every year 
and this goes, this is a tradition going back to when she was a little girl, but her mom used to make her lasagna and chocolate cake. And so every, every year for my wife's birthday, um, basically I make her uh, lasagna. I'm, I, I'm actually, I, you know, I make a pretty good lasagna, real garlicky. And then I, I bake, I bake a chocolate cake for her. Mm. Um, and, and our rule is that we, we can't get the Christmas tree until her birthday's done. Mm. So that, her birthday and then it's and then it's and then it's a christmas holiday so sometimes people get the christmas tree immediately after thanksgiving that's not us we have to wait until after my wife's birthday on the 10th or whatever day we're celebrating it and then the weekend after that we go get the tree and, and start and decorate the tree so also means we tend to have it in into january a little bit because <laughs> we want to make it last yeah so that's a, that's a, that's our tradition around uh, surrounding birthdays no that's uh i like that i mean i, I don't know the the favorite meal thing is just something that we do for you know all the kids too that come over. We always they always get their favorite meal. So, and I don't know as, as you get older too, it's like that's you appreciate a good meal. So that's definitely something that um, no lasagna that sounds good. So you've actually carried on the tradition that that she had. That's very that's a good husband, Rabs. That's that's very nice of you to you know. I just asked her one year. I was like, what do you if you could do anything for your birthday? What do you want to do? And she thought about it for a second, and that's what she said. And so I did it, and and it you know. It, it's stuck. Nice. Nice. So, yeah. It's, it's, and, and honestly, it makes it a lot easier for me because I know exactly what she wants. I can I can do the best version of it that I can do. And, you know, I don't have to, like, worry about, is she going to like this? I know she's going to like it. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. No, absolutely. I definitely subscribe to that theory. Not real big on surprising and rolling the dice on things rather than trying to, you know, give people what they want. But speaking of giving people what they want, Rabs, what do we have on today's show? Well, I'm glad you asked. We're actually going to take a look at some of the news coming out of OTAs. And I'm going to ask you to play a little game where we read the tea leaves. How strong is this tea? Ooh. But before we do, I actually, we've talked about this and we're, we'll, we'll share, we'll continue to share this in, in the off season and probably uh, return to, to this topic when we um, are doing a pre-draft uh, uh, podcast next April, but um, I've been I've been doing a uh, a project where I'm I'm looking at the Cowboys drafts at at, what, at the the sort of picks and the, the the drafts themselves where they've gotten the most value, and so there's all these really interesting little factoids that have come out of that that I kind of want to share with you. So, um, I, in, in looking at the drafts from the last 20 years, in terms of the players that most underperformed the expectations of their draft slot. Who were the three biggest draft busts for the Cowboys in the last 20 years? Do you have any sense of who that might be? We're going back to 2002 now. So there's a lot of options, a lot of, of possibilities. I, I will tell you right now, all three of them are offensive linemen. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, no, I actually, the, the, the ones that pop out to me are actually not. None of them play offensive line. Um, of course, I'll, I will say this, though. I'm going with feel, like just how I don't have any metrics to, to back up mm -hmm. my answers to. Um, and so actually, the one of the ones that I first thought of was um, David LaFleur, but he actually does not fall in the – he's just outside the window of the 20 he is, years. Yes. So, he, he, so he's not on the list. But, you know, I'm going to go with – so my three, in no particular order – I'm going to go with Bobby Carpenter. Uh-huh. He's um, up there. I'm going to go with Morris Claiborne. Uh-huh. And uh, the the one everybody would would talk about is Mr. Taco Charlton. So all of which are first rounders. So that's why 
you know, I'm, I'm sticking with the high round, big disappointment type of thing. So those are the three players that jump out to me. I think that um, I think those are all those are all good choices, and those have been the three greatest underperforming first rounders in the last twenty five years or so, right? So, the, so I will, and we'll talk more about about those guys in future. But I think the thing about that is each of them do, has played and has made plays. I mean, Bobby Carpenter, you know, played linebacker, played special teams, did a bunch of stuff. He was a sort of like you know passing down linebacker for a while there. Um, you know, Taco did get make some plays, got a couple sacks. I mean, he did he did play, and of course, Mo had a multi year career, and he wasn't awful. He just wasn't worth the six overall pick, given what they traded up to get him, etc. But he wasn't, you know, he didn't vastly underperform his status. These three offensive linemen, however, end up getting zero. Like they played zero, and and then they were like all second or third round picks. So I think that that's actually one of the things that that, that happened is that they they so vastly under, underperformed because they got zero playing time and and the fascinating thing is it's basically in a five-year span they got jacob rogers uh remember him he was he was the guy they got in the same draft where they picked up um uh, julius jones uh, they had james martin who was like a third rounder from boston college in the draft where they picked uh they actually that draft was not a bad draft but james martin was the one kind of blinking light where he was he was really bad that's the same one where they traded back and then back up for anthony spencer and then robert brewster uh you know, they're like they're one of their two th- third round picks, I think it was, in an ill-fated 2009 backup player draft. None of those guys ever got a single um, point of, of approximate value, which is the metric that we're using to evaluate these guys. So it's no wonder that the Cowboys struggled on the offensive line for so long and had to spend so many resources bringing mm-hmm. in free agent offensive linemen. Other than Andre Gerard, they're just, I mean, they just struck out again and again and again. So, um, you know, that's why Leonard Davis and, you know, um, uh, you know all, all those, there's uh, Mark Colombo, they had to, they had to, you know, they had to, to do a lot of, a lot of work to bring guys in because they weren't, they were not drafting well at all during those sort of Parcells years. And even into the, even into the Wade Phillips years. Um, so a couple more questions that relate to this, which player since 2016, so much more recently, I have three players for you. I want you to know, tell me which one has most outplayed his draft status. Okay. Okay. Now relative to, to where he was drafted, Dak Prescott, Xavier Woods, or Donovan Wilson. Who? Well, and, and it's all, they're all pretty closely aligned. So they're, they're fairly, they're fairly tightly bunched, but one of them is slightly outplayed the other. In ter- now, again, in the relationship between where he was picked and what he's provided. Yeah, that's, well, what's tricky for, to, to me, it, it seems obvious as far as because of just, I mean, what D- Dak has contributed on the field, that just, I feel like he would run away with this. But I'm trying to figure out the value. If you, I, I will say this, both Xavier and Dono, for you know, for six rounders, I'm sure they got some good scores. So I, I just don't know how it's weighted as far as a sixth rounder and a fourth rounder. Um, so I, I don't know what the ultimate answer is going to be. It's probably not going to be Dak, but to me that answer is Dak. Um, I sure. feel like Dak's. I, I figure his AV value's got to be skyrocketed, and I, I mean, unless you really get some extra value from going from four to six. I don't even think those other guys are close, but I will say this. Those are great picks because they got Cowboys got some great contribution, not just the Cowboys too, but Xavier's still, his career's still going, you know, four or six rounder, great value picks for sure. 
hundred percent. And actually that's why they end up being slightly more uh, valuable in terms of, in terms of the return for the draft resources spent. Right. So I think that's really the, the key is who is most outplayed his draft status and the expectations of his draft status. So I think the thing about that is force rounders historically contribute enough so that their expectations are higher. Six rounders very rarely contribute. Most six rounders play special teams for a year and get and are out of the league. So I mean, so so the fact that Xavier Woods and Donovan Wilson stuck around as long as they have, they've been starters, they've been productive, means that they are way outplaying the expectations of someone who's drafted in their slot. So actually, the most the guy who's most outplayed his draft status among those three is Dono. Dono. Yeah, yeah. Dak is second. Dak is second. And then, and then Xavier, but Xavier is right behind Dak. It's very interesting. They're all actually very, very tightly bunched. So that's, that's really the key here is obviously like, you know, there's, there's guys who, I mean, Dak's the right answer, right? He's the, he's the, he's the, the, the sort of godsend in the draft the last, over the last decade. But um, wait, part of this project is just, is to look more closely at what are the historical expectations from this draft slot? Because there are guys who have incredible careers given where they're drafted. And um, and Donovan Wilson's one of those guys. You're not supposed to have a good career if you're drafted there. Historically, it never happens, but the dude has carved out a good career. So that's a credit to him and a credit to the Cowboys scouting. So uh, last one. Um, in, the, in terms of the last uh, 20 years, in terms of guys drafted in the first four rounds, Dak, who we just mentioned, sits atop the heap in terms of outplaying expectations for his draft slot. So if we, if we eliminate Dak, though, then the question becomes, in the last 20 years, who are the next top five? And I will say, because of everything we just talked about, four of the five are fourth rounders. And this is guys who picked in the first four rounds. It's really hard to outplay your draft status if you're a first or second round pick because the expectations are higher, right? So most of these guys are um, are fourth rounders. So who are the top five guys in the last 20 years of Cowboys draft picks to most outplay their drafts, uh, draft status? Okay, so just so I'm clear on the rules, what do they have to be of a certain round or, or more? First to fourth round. First, so so the players I'm picking are first to fourth round. Yes. Okay. But I will say that of the five, four of them are fourth rounders because it's most easy as a fourth rounder to outplay your draft status or your draft the expectations of your draft slot. Okay. Um, well, to me, I, I feel like Jason Witten has to be one. He's the exception to the rule because yes, he's the only he's the lone third rounder no. on there. He's third. Yeah, I mean because of what the Cowboys have gotten from him. I mean that absolutely. Makes, that now makes, remember, he was at the top of the third round, so he was almost a second rounder. So the expectations are a little bit higher for him than okay. some of these other guys. But I think his accolades pretty. I mean, that's... oh my gosh, yes, absolutely. So, um, so Dak, you you mentioned Dak already. Um, yeah. So the only thing that I struggle with here is like how because hmm, i feel like it has to go we have to go back a little bit of a ways to for them to really like i can't say dalton schultz because no no he, he hasn't played long enough right. really to build to build up his av where he's he's in that range um so that and so none of these late round guys too or you know like the rat rat lifts or 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 i will tell you However, that Jay Ratliff leads all Cowboys draft picks in the last 20 years in terms of outplaying the expectation of his draft slot. Oh, he does? He outplayed, his, he outplayed yes. He's a seventh rounder. His, the expectations were... Oh, there, okay, so that's why, yeah. So the expectations of his draft slot, he's outplayed them by 55,000%. 
Okay, that's 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 pretty high. quite a bit. Yeah. Quite a <laughs> yeah. Bit. Um, so, so let me let me let me help you out here. We got a we got a a, a couple linebackers. So oh, number five is uh, Anthony Hitchens. Okay. Who played with the Cowboys, but he also has played with other teams. But he had several good years with the Chiefs. Um, so he was a fourth rounder in I think it was 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, had a really solid career. Made an impact from his rookie year. Um, you know, got a lot of starts. Made a lot of plays. Um, had a good career. He, so he outplayed his draft status by 876%. Uh, the next one, Brady James, also good solid linebacker. Mm-hmm. Wasn't spectacular, but developed into a pretty good linebacker from about 2005 on. I think he was drafted in the uh, uh, 04 draft, right? Um, no, maybe even the 03 draft. Uh, and um, took him a couple years to develop, but he was a good solid inside linebacker in a, uh, in a 3-4. Number, two, number three was Witten. Number two, Great, great find, and and you know I I've always been a huge fan of this guy, even though a lot of guys. G- give me a hint. Don't tell me. Give me. Talking. Give me a hint. The offensive offensive lineman. Oh, what was the weak? There was the weak link to the offensive line in 2014 through 16. For Doug Free. Doug Free. You know I've always I've always always been the the um, the curator of a Doug a Doug Free stand account. So Doug Free outplayed his draft status by about 1125 percent, and then number one is a defensive lineman drafted in the same draft as Jay Ratliff. Okay, let me think for a second. Uh, I, might, I might get these guys crossed up because Canty and Spears, it's got to be, I think it's one of those, is it? Yeah, remember, Spears is a first-round pick, so it's okay. going to be a lot so of there outplay his status. So, um, so it's Chris Canty? It sure is. And remember, Chris Canty had a good career with the Cowboys, but then he also had a long career with other teams. He played for the Giants. I think he might even play for another team mm-hmm. or two. And so part of this is also about longevity. Like right. If you have a long long career and you play early and you have a long career, then you can really pile up some pile up some points. I will say that one other one other thing, and we'll we'll get into this, um, you know, in further in further episodes. The guy in Cowboys history who's most outplayed his draft status was Larry Cole, who was like a 17th rounder in 1963 or something like that, and he's outplayed his draft status by like. Two hundred thousand percent. I mean, just a crazy how much he outplayed. He had a, he had a good career as a guy who was drafted really, really, really late. And yeah, I just don't know who he is. Oh man! So uh, read about the nineteen seventy nine Roger Staubach comeback against the hated Redskins because Larry Cole made the play that actually saved that game. Okay, yeah, I'll have to read about it because remember, Rabs, I haven't had as, quite as many birthdays as as you have. <laughs> <laughs> All right, birthdays, OTAs, whatever. Uh, yeah. Let, I tell you what, uh, let's transition from this, and 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 uh, why don't we get together and read some tea leaves? Okay, it sounds like a great idea. Okay, there, birthday boy. Here's our game. As you know, during OTAs, what we end up doing mostly, and frankly, we end up doing this most of the year, is we are just trying to do our best to read the tea leaves. And the longer we follow the team, the better we are at reading the tea leaves because we begin to notice patterns in their behavior. But it's still it's just reading the tea leaves after we finish the cup of tea. It's whatever they leave over, okay? So because we're basically just reading tea leaves, I thought it would be appropriate for us to have a tea-centered game. Mm, okay. Typically what happens in OTAs is there's bits of news that come out and they only come out during one day each OTA, you know, sort of each each uh, you know, sort of sequence of OTAs because there's only one day in which the media is allowed to attend. All right. And so 
Um, we already know that we're getting a small sample size, but also OTAs, as you well know, is often a time where the team is just trying stuff on to see how it fits. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're just trying something on. Does this thing fit? And we never see it during the regular season. But there are other times when little tidbits come out of OTAs and um, suddenly we see the same thing happening in training camp. And suddenly we see that player making a big impression during the year. So I'll, I'll give you a couple examples. Uh, I remember back in like 2011, I think it was, OTAs, there was this little wide receiver nobody could cover. Didn't hear much about him, but you saw him on their, their video sequences a lot, just getting open all the time. Little guy by the name of Cole Beasley. A couple of years later, he's starting receiver, or at least, you know, a heavy rotation in, in the receiving core. Um, last year, you heard stories of, uh, you know, um, uh, Marquise Bell doing really well and not feeling like he was um, not feeling like he was uh, too small for the for the limelight of the NFL. So I think that there are times when guys perform or things that happen during OTAs that prove to actually make an impact on the season. And sometimes there are not. I want you to take a look at some of the headlines coming out of OTAs and let me know, is this something that's going to have impact on the season? Or is this something that's just a one-off that it doesn't mean anything? And I'm going to give you a five-point T-centric rating system. Are you ready? <laughs> yeah, I am ready. So if you, if you think that this is actually something that we're going to see during the season, then, then you say, it's Texas T. Oil, that is Texas T. <laughs> You think, yeah, it could it could likely happen. Then you'll say, that's the straight T. If you're sort of in the middle there, you say, if you're pretty sure it's not going to happen, you say, I think, frankly, that's a tempest in a teapot. And then, and then if you're absolutely sure that this is just a one-off, it's one little thing that someone's hyping that's not going to have any bearing on the season whatsoever, you'll say, not for all the tea in China. Okay. Okay, so I'm going to read the headlines one by one, and I want you to let me know which of those, which of those uh, various T-based designations fits that headline and why. Okay, I'm ready Fair for enough. this. So, this this, right. this sounds fun. I hope so. I hope so. So uh, I'm going to start with the offense, and then we'll talk about the defense. So the first one is some offensive line configurations. Of course, everybody's everybody's all up in uh, all up in the air about the offensive line configurations. Um, so uh, let's look from last week's report, uh, both I think Mickey Spagnola and I think Patrick uh, Nosey Walker reported, and then Michael Gelkin might have shared this as well, that um, the first team offensive line had Tyron Smith at right tackle, and, um, and uh, Ty Tyler Smith was only playing left tackle. What do you think about that as the configuration at the various tackle spots going forward and will that play into the season? Okay. So are you specifically asking about. Is, is, is Tyron going to be our left tackle and is Tyler going to be our right tackle in week eight in week one? Oh man. You're asking a really difficult one because I don't, I really don't know how that's all going to play out. Um, the only thing that I am strongly opposed to, and this falls into not for all the tea in China category, is the um, Terrence moving inside. So I want Terrence to be my right tackle. So 
where it gets dicey for me, Rabs, is what you do with the Tylers. I don't, I mean, the, the, the Smiths, what you do with the Smiths. Because mm-hmm. I don't know, there's arguments to be made on both sides with with Tyron being your left tackle and, and Tyler moving inside. And then also with, you know, keeping the young guy on the on the edge too. So, and it's puzzling to me. I I am not sure what to think of it. Um, there's I'm kind of there, there. There's two parts to me where I think if you want looking for an optimal lineup, then you want to put you're going to move the, the young guy at left guard. He's going to be your probably your best left guard option on the team. But if you're also looking at you know um, long term and maybe to preserve uh, Tyron's health, then you're probably not going to go that route and you want to get Tyler Smith out on the, on the left side. So I don't know. You, you start with the, one of the, one of the toughest ones for me. I don't, I don't really know. I think it really comes down to how other things play out um, on the offensive line to, to that may um, start to move some of these other parts. So Are you are you in the are you in the soft middle there with not my cup of tea? I think so. I think that's kind of where I have to go. Um, all right. With that, all right. Fair enough. I, I think that's I think that's actually probably the safest assertion right now because Steele is not in the lineup, right? And so it remains it remains a question until until he's available, healthy and available. If he was available to play and that was happening, then I'm probably I might feel a little more certain about it. But I think it, 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 it this is the time for cross training. Right. This is the time for giving guys reps at positions that they might have to play during the season, but don't necessarily, um, you know, they're not necessarily written in, in ink that they'll be playing there during the season. So I think that I think I would I would agree with you that, that it's not my cup of tea because there's not enough information to make it either to, to, to allow us to feel more strongly about it in either direction. Yeah. So here's the, here's the next one, my friend. Oh, we're hearing a lot of a lot of reports from a lot of different people. It wasn't just a one-off. It's pretty unanimous that uh, our friend Michael Gallup was looking very springy, right? He looks like he had a little bit more acceleration and he was, you know, one of the things that he was really good at was jump balls, right? He Mm -hmm. would, those those sort of jump balls they throw up in the air. He was really good at bodying guys and getting a rebound, so to speak. So are we going to see a springier, Michael Gallup, are we going to see a 2021 Michael Gallup? Is he returning to form in 2023? Well, I'm going to go with uh, that's the straight T because, I mean, first off, I I wanted to answer absolutely. I think we're going to see a, a springier Gallup and we're going to see a better Gallup without question. I have no doubt at all that, um, you know, we've already seen him play well and we know that what we saw last year was, you know, attributed to him recovering from his injury. So I have full confidence that we're going to get a better version of Michael Gallup. The only thing, if you're talking about 2019, Gallup was it 19? Yeah, I think uh, his thousand yard season. Um, he's not going to be getting those kind of um, targets to where mm-hmm. I, I don't expect him to have one of those type of years because now we have Brandon Cooks in the fold as well but you know rabs watching hearing this you know and can't well so far the, the early reports and the positivity coming out for Gallup, i think this is just it should make cowboys fans really 
happy because you're to me you're looking at one of the stronger trios of receivers that this team has had in a while and um I think that it 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 uh, rivals the the 2020 group with the rookie lamb um and the healthy gallop um which we didn't really get to see that uh you know the max see how that actually could play out because you know we lost Dak early but um mm-hmm. i am super excited um i'm totally buying into gallup returning uh he not maybe statistically but the playmaking and you know the toe dragon and the leaping in the air and doing michael gallup things is absolutely i'm, I'm sold on that I think I would agree with you. I think it's too early to say that that's Texas T, but I, I think that um, I, I would I would agree to you that with that I think that that's going to happen. And I know we earlier we talked about the fact that um, it looks like the Cowboys' offseason plan to improve the offense didn't seem to consist of improving the either the wide receiver group beyond Brandon Cooks. Obviously, that's a big that's a big improvement, and it didn't seem like it was it included uh, you know upping the personnel on the um on the offensive line so what it, what they were relying on not only by adding brandon cooks but it seemed like what they were really relying on was a little more dynamism from and a return to form from michael gallup because they, they clearly weren't weren't looking to replace him because they extended him and made it even more certain that he'd be here longer so i, I the fact that the early reports are that he's looking springy and he's got that that, that sort of acceleration that explosion back i mean that's such a huge key to them having a successful season in 23. Yeah. Uh, speaking speaking of offensive weapons, I've got one more little tidbit that's been that's come out of, of OTAs I want to run by you here in our T-based system, and that is that almost all of the rookies, Mozzie Smith included, were practicing on one end of the field with the rookies and first-year players, except for a couple of dudes, the first of which we want to talk about is a guy on offense, which is Luke Schoonmaker. He was starting with the first team at tight end. What does that mean? Does that mean that he's already being penciled in as the, as a, as a starter? Does that mean that he's our, you know, that, that they see a lot more in him than we thought they might see? That he's actually, you know, the guy. Is 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 he going to be the week one starter? What do you think? What what, what does this mean? I am a little bit apprehensive about that one. Um, first off, I'm high on on you know Schoonmaker, and I think that. It's just a matter of time, and that's exactly what he'll be. Uh, but I don't know if that happens right away. So I'm a little bit in the tempest in a teapot. Uh, and that's where I would probably say right now. But I will also say this too: is Cowboys they'll give they'll give young players opportunities. Um, so you'll you'll get you'll see some things where you, players will be playing with first teams where it's like. You know, and we tend to overact to to those kind of moments. And uh, but they're they're certainly want to give give young players opportunities. And I think with Schoonmaker, it's really going to be like how quickly does he pick things up? Can we trust him to handle his assignments right out of the gate, or will there be that normal learning curve that usually accompanies you know rookie tight ends? Um, that said, I really don't think. We're going to notice much as far as the Ferguson uh, Schoonmaker 1-2. I think it 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 almost be the same. It, I think it's going to start off with the Ferguson being the guy, and then it kind of maybe will slowly transition to reverse roles, and, and it, it will be hardly noticeable maybe um, mm-hmm. is, is my thinking. But, yeah, I mean, a lot of reasons to be excited about him, but 
at the same time, you know, he's a rookie and he's got some things to learn. So, you know, I'm not going to get too excited about it. I saw one theory about, about that, which is that, you know, he's a plus blocker. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things that, that all their tight ends um, seem that they've drafted seem to have when, when, you know, coming in is that they went to schools that have a pro style running game and they tend to be plus blockers. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we, we've talked about that aspect of his game, but I wonder if they see him as even more of a plus blocker than they did with either, you know, Ferguson or Schultz, both of whom came from those kind of, those kind of um, college offenses. And that perhaps what they're trying to do is just get him some reps alongside the starting offensive line so they can become to build, begin to build that chemistry. Because, and this reminds me actually of a piece that Bob Sturm wrote for The Athletic this week, where he looked at the Cowboys running game and how dreadful it's been in a sort of per rush basis. And it has been really bad. And, and you know, you and I have talked about how the fact the fact that it you know it tailed off significantly last year after Terrence Steele left. But he, frankly, even before he, he went out, they were not a great running a great running team seems pretty clear that you know that some of the some of the blame is going to fall on uh on zeke elliott's shoulders and some of the blame is is you know falling on the former offensive line coach's shoulders but they they it seems like they feel like they need to do something to at least up their per carry average their effectiveness you know from a sort of epa standpoint um and maybe Schoonmaker and his plus blocking is is one way to do that. So they want to get that thing going right now. Yeah. Um, in which case, in which case, if they really see him as that much better of a of like an inline Y tight end as a blocker from from that position, then it, it makes a lot of sense that they would get that going now and that they want to give him every rep possible because that's how they're going to shape their offense. They need to know both. They need to give him the rest, but also they need to see what he can do. Right. No, I mean you make. So, so I, I think I'm. I think I'm a little more more inclined to say that's the straight T as a result of that. Yeah, no, I, you make a good case, and I, you, you know, in particular, something you said that really resonates with me too is as far as the Cowboys draft um, investments in the players, and you know, like with Schultz with fourth yep. rounder, and you and you saw what he became, and, and you're absolutely right. The Cowboys have a certain type that they go after, and that's why like players like McKeon and even Schoonmaker didn't sneak up on, on me, you know, you know, cause you know, the Cowboys really love these good uh, blocking specialists too, but you're talking about a second round investment. I mean, he's, mm-hmm. I mean, you look at how, how pleased we were that Ferguson, you know, played so well for, you know, when he was drafted too. So now you throw in a second rounder in here that, and he absolutely is, is um, a really good blocking tight end. So no, you're, I mean, I can, I can see what you're, uh, I can get behind what you're saying. It's uh, it makes a lot of sense, and you don't really draft second rounders to be like, you know, sitting you know behind other players. So you're, you know, you yeah. want them to come in and, tri- and yeah. contribute. So it's that's that's a very good possibility. And, and interestingly enough, Mozzie Smith is not doing the same. So you got to figure, okay, what's rare, what's different or rare about Schoonmaker that that doesn't apply to Mozzie Smith? And to me, it's that it's that the, it's that they see that he provides this thing that they want to that they that but that that thing needs continuity to develop. Yeah, and um, so, so go ahead. No, I just think, and finally, I mean, the and you kind of mentioned this already, but it also comes down to your mental processing, how well you can pick things up. And if you're able to uh, get that part of your game to where mm-hmm. the coaches are comfortable with trusting you to be out in the, uh, on the field, then you, you know you're going to be out there earlier. So that's that's a big thing. It's not just how talented you are, but just how you're able to um, execute your assignments too. And then maybe 
Maybe, you know, we know they were high on him. So maybe they're just like, you know what? There's there's no reason to be, you know, waiting for this guy. We we have complete faith that he's a, he's a ready to go tight end right now. 100%. 100%. Um, what this brings to mind is another cat on the other side of the ball who's also been getting some first team reps. Um, but he doesn't have the same sort of quality. It's, it's, it's a little bit more confusing, perhaps, or maybe maybe the reason for why he's getting first-team reps isn't as obvious. So I want to ask you about this guy now, which is uh, a, a dude they clearly like. They, they traded a pick next year to trade into the sixth round to get him, and that is cornerback Eric Scott. We've heard, actually, in both the first week of OTAs and in this week of OTAs that he's been taking first-team reps, running with the first-teamers. My friend... My birthday celebrating cake eating friend, <laughs> what gives? Uh oh, you know, Rab. So this is, you know, I have I have mixed feelings on this. Um, so and I'll just I'll share them with you. Uh, the, so there's there's good and bad with what what I'm seeing here. First off, I can't get past my initial impression of how I feel of him, and it feels like Nation all over again. And then you know, I know I've been hard on Nation, and throughout. All, many of our conversations that we've had since he's been drafted and nations did very little, little to nothing to, to, to disprove, uh, take away those feelings that, that I, that I have from him. Um, and then with Eric Scott, it just kind of feels like, here we go again. That's, that's how I feel. These are my feelings. Um, Cowboys obviously see things much differently. And I will say this, um, I don't know if, what happened with Deron Bland last year? Because I wasn't too jacked about him either. I mean, I, I thought he had bet some better traits, but I would have not expected uh, Bland to perform like he did. So I, I guess part of me says, is it possible the Cowboys have maybe turned the corner, figured something out? Or could this be a nation all over? So I'm really, I'm on the fence. Don't know what to think of the first, I'm a little bit alarmed by it because they had a lot of faith in Nashon too. Uh, so I'm going to go with uh, this is not my cup of tea. Um, obviously, we need to, need to see more to to know more, but I'm not really feeling it. But I will also I'm not just I'm not totally against it. I'll I have my, you got to give the the Cowboys a little bit of credit here. Yeah, this is a tough one. I I think I think that you know your reasoning, um, even if it was feeling based is quite uh is you know is, is quite judicious and it, it makes a lot of sense um i guess i'm i'm actually gonna say it's a tempest in a teapot but that's less a, a, because i don't think that eric scott can play and more because it feels like this team is deep at corner i mean you know if best case scenario he's the fourth corner right absolute best case all, yes Right, and so he's not going to be a starter. He's not going to display. I just really have a hard time imagining he would displace any of their starters. Well, the, one of the things, Rabs, too, we have to remember there is a big gap from three to four. Whoever that is now, I don't know. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, so. so so that that actually is a really interesting way to think about it. So maybe it's that they're trying they're trying out a bunch of dudes, and this is actually going to lead me to my my next and final um, kind of OTA observation question for you. Maybe what they're doing is is. You know, as, as we said at the beginning, they're just, this is the time of the year to test things out. But I guess my, it's still, the question remains for me is, can't they test things out with him playing with the second team? Like, what is it about the first team that they want to test out unless they really want to see him go up against a certain quality of guy? Or maybe they really actually just believe that he's 
he's the he's the leader in the clubhouse for the for the you know fourth or fifth cornerback spot maybe depending on uh, again what they do with Jordan Lewis. Uh, I, I I think it's it's interesting. I don't think he'll end up with the first team, but I think it it's interesting because it it gives me some hope that you know they actually have a vision for him and they're trying to like Schoonmaker, right? They have a clear vision for him and they're trying to do what they can to give him the reps to build into and become whatever that vision is. Right. Yeah. I mean, obviously Diggs, Diggs and Gilmore weren't, weren't out there. So they're the, they're, they're the mm-hmm. first, they're the first team without quite, yeah. I mean, but then if you look at Bland and uh, Scott being the other two, the next two, then, I mean, that's, that's a piece of information, but is this, is this just about giving the rookie opportunity? You know, why is Nashon not out there? You know, what's up with that? And so you, you yeah. can definitely build some type of narrative that um, they, they believe Scott is that number four guy already over whoever else, you know, insert your own number four um, candidate. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, over seeing him out there over Nashon, I, I don't know. It's it could be opportunity. It could be that you know he's he's going to be their guy. We they've they've given Nation plenty of chances, and you know we haven't seen we haven't seen enough, Rab. So now let's see what we got with the with the new. That's guy. A, that's absolutely right. And um, and another guy they've given plenty of chances to, and we haven't really seen enough from him is uh, the guy who was drafted just ahead of Nation, Kelvin uh, Kelvin Joseph. Right. So um, one of the things that's coming out of camp is that Kelvin Joseph has been playing a lot of nickel corner and a lot of safety. That's sort of like, you know, something that we've seen guys like Bland play and Jordan Lewis have played a kind of hybrid, you know, nickel um, kind of position. So is this just OTA cross training? So they have depth at that position or is this a position, position switch and therefore Kelvin Joseph's last stand in a way like they're, they're, they're this, they're, if he can't cut it at this position, that he can't cut it. So let's just say this. He's being, I'll, I'll, I'll make a statement. He's being moved to nickel slash safety and maybe even to, to give him some reps at free because we've talked before that there's not a whole lot of depth behind Malik Hooker. So the statement is he's being moved permanently to nickel slash safety. What do you think about that? What kind of tea leave are we looking at? Well, first off, I wanted to say that you struck oil with the, with the last hurrah narrative of uh, of, of <laughs> Kelvin Joseph because that's that's where my mind's at. I actually wrote an article, um, you know, basically. Oh, oh, was it bubbling crude, my <laughs> friend? <laughs> you know, it was like, you know, is this is this going to be a, a career saving move for him, or is it going to be, you know, the, just basically the Cowboys giving him one final shot? And it's funny because I actually had a. a conversation a, a private message with our good friend john owning because i was i wanted to know what he thought too because and uh, his mind was right where mind is too where you know i mean there there's some arguments with you could talk about with traits as far as some things he could do maybe give him a little more time processing moving him back in, in the safety spot but having him play at the line of scrimmage too where his he hasn't been able to show very good processing and reacting quickly and some of the other things too. Just, it doesn't seem to add up. So I just think that the Cowboys are just trying to give this guy every, every opportunity they can to make the team. I don't think they, they may have waved, waved the white flag on him as being an outside corner guy. And um, so it's like, you know what, there's your last chance to see what you can do. Personally, I don't think it's a good fit. I don't think they're, they're, I don't think he fits well for. I know he's got some good speed, and he is twitchy. I mean, he, 
he's twitchier than some of the like twitchier than than Jordan Lewis, um, and it's faster than Jordan Lewis too. I mean, but I think there's too many negatives about, um, you know, and he he's very he'll take the cheese too, and so I don't know. To me, I feel like the Cowboys are giving this guy one final shot. I, to be honest, Rabs, I don't know if he if he makes this team this year. Uh, the only thing I will say is that. He is a little different than Nashon in the sense that he does have some of those athletic traits that Nashon doesn't. Nashon's got your length for you, but Nashon's not fast. Nashon's not twitchy. Um, you really have to kind of game plan a special kind of game plan for Nashon. Where I do think if you if someone told me which one had better upside, I would definitely say Kelvin Joseph. But I don't know. I mean, so I guess I didn't really answer your question as far as like what category I put it in. I. I'm just what kind of tea are we having, my friend? Um, I I, I feel like th- this this move, it's it's kind of like it's there's nothing to it because I don't expect him to be there. We we're um, we're actually loaded in the slot if you count Jordan Lewis and you count Israel Mukwama, which I most definitely do, and of course Der- Deron Bland is my starting nickel corner on on any list that I make uh, right now. So I'm gonna say I'm just gonna. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say, not my cup of tea. That's what I'm gonna say. I, I'm gonna back off a little bit with the, with the hate and not just be completely anti KJ. But uh, not, yeah, it's not my cup of tea. And I, I think if we get out there and we, and if they're doing, if he's playing preseason in the slot, it's not going to be anybody's cup of tea. Right. I'm I'm actually going to be a little more positive, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why. I'm not actually being more positive in the long run. I will just say, I'm going to say that's the straight T because I feel like, as you said, this is probably his last chance. I think that they've, you know, the behavior after the Jacksonville game last year suggests pretty strongly that they no longer believe he's a solution on the outside because they were running a bunch of mm-hmm. just warm bodies out. Snaps, you know, from that from that cornerback room, and and he wasn't sniffing it, and so they were done with him, done, done, yeah, done. Yeah. So at least the coaching staff was right. So um, I don't think he's. I don't think we're going to see him on on the outside again. I think that this is his last hurrah. But in term because of that, I feel like that's my that's the straight T because I think him moving inside is the straight T. Whether him making the team on the inside. I think that you're probably then it's probably more of a tempest in the teapot. So in some ways, I'm splitting those two, and I end up about where you are, which is in in the middle. Mm-hmm. But I just sort of I think those two things are a little bit separate. I think that he is moving inside, and I think that he'll have a hard time making the team inside for all the reasons you so ably articulated. Yeah, the only thing I will say is that um, if he does okay, then there's some good merit to hanging on to him having him be your slot corner number three behind Bland and Mukwamo and then saving yourself four and a half million by releasing Jordan Lewis, which I know that sounds ludicrous to some. Why would you give it a corner dap like that? But you know what? I mean, I, you, you do it because it's, you know, it saves money and then it, you're, he's not providing that value that you get from the next guy. So that's uh, that's the only thing I, I will say about that. That's actually a really good point because if you think about Joseph making the team, it's going to be as the, it, no better than the fourth or fifth corner, and that guy's got to play special teams. Jordan Lewis is also at this point now probably the fourth or fifth corner. He doesn't play special teams, right? 
And so, and so I could see where they, if they're looking at that and they're going to provide more value to the roster, is it going to, and can they train this guy to do an adequate job at, at the same position that Jordan Lewis plays, but be a plus special teams player for less money? Then that makes a lot of sense from a roster building standpoint. Right. Nope. Totally agree. And which, you know, that's, you know, it could play out that way. I guess it all, it's all, it's all wait and see. Um, but anyway, that is all we have for today's show. If you haven't yet, please do subscribe to the Blogging the Boys podcast network. Leave us a rating, write a review, wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, iTunes, or Stitcher. Tell us what you think, anything you would like us to do differently to improve your podcast listening experience. And if you ever want to talk to us about anything at all, any uh, camp battles that you're you know keeping an eye on, or do you have any birthday traditions, let us know. Hit us up on Twitter. I'm at DannyPhantom24 and Rabs is at Rabble Rouser, spelled R-A-B-B-L-E-R-O-U-S-R. And don't forget to check out all the great podcasts throughout the entire week. Every day we got something new for you. Tomorrow we'll have the World's Team with Meg Murray and Paul Stewart, so make sure to check that out. But that's all we have for today. Thanks for hanging out with us. Hope you have a great weekend. Stay safe, stay happy, stay true to the silver and blue, and we will catch you later. Come on up and get a slice of cake, y'all. 